Okay, so do you guys want to pray? Sure. Okay. Um, Father God, I just pray that you would be with us today, Lord God. Um, without your Holy Spirit, we're nothing. Without your hope of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. And Lord, you said that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us into all truth. And I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive wisdom, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word, everything that's of you, I pray would uh, go deep into our hearts, Lord God, and that, um, like we were talking earlier, I pray that you would change us, Lord God, and that we wouldn't just believe what we've always believed, we wouldn't just uh, um, believe what we believe without knowing what we believe, Lord God, but I pray that you would just teach us and instruct us and um, everything that's of your spirit, I pray that would uh, last, and everything that's not of your spirit, we ask, would be broken. And uh, Father God, I just thank you for these ones that are here, Lord God, and we just ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, or first, turn to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. And we got, like, I don't know. We may have to do this into two parts because there's a ton of stuff that we've got to go through. But I just wanted to look at a scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, just in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, look at this. He says, It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now stop right there. Now, if you just stop right there, and you don't read the rest of what he's saying, or you don't try to figure out what Paul is saying in this scripture, you're going to have some weird theology. Right? And especially as a married man. If I look at this scripture right here, just lift it out of its context and say, well, the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. The Bible's true. I believe the Bible. I believe what it says. The Bible, I take the Bible literally. So I'm going to take this scripture and I'm going to stand on this scripture. And see, that, that's ludicrous and it's kind of funny, but you know, in a lot of ways, that's what we do with a lot of scriptures. We'll read some scriptures and instead of really delving into them, instead of really uh, trying to figure out what the scripture's saying, we say, well, this is what the scripture says, so I'm just going to believe it. I'm going to take this as the gospel and this is what I believe on this subject now. So I'm never going to touch a woman again, including my wife. Read the scripture again. It's in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. He says... Uh, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And I was just talking about if you just take that scripture and you don't take the rest of what he's saying and you don't try to understand what he's saying behind it, you're going to get a false interpretation of scripture. And again, that's what we do a lot of times with the Word of God. Instead of investigating it, instead of digging into it, we just take what it says and say, well, that's what scripture says, that's what I'm going to believe, and that's it. So... God has given us his scripture, and he has given us all, the Bible says he's given us the mind of Christ. Now again, God didn't save us, God didn't deliver us, and, and just say, now you're just going to be led by the Holy Spirit, and whichever way the wind blows, you're going to go, and if the Holy Spirit blows you this way, you're going to go there, the Holy Spirit blows you over here, you're going to go there. There is us uh, an aspect of us being led by the holy spirit but everything with god is first and foremost rooted and grounded in his word 
Um, if we are going to know him, it's first and foremost going to be through the word of God. It's not going to be through being led by the spirit or by our emotions or, or by voices or, or anything like that. First of all, it's by the Word. Once we know the Word, when we hear the voice of the Spirit, we know whether it's from the Spirit of God or whether it's from a demonic spirit because of whether or not it lines up with the rest of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so God has given us His Word so as a safeguard for us so that we could know and understand what's of God and what's not of God. And the, and the, and the beauty of it is, is that everything that we need is in the Word of God. The Bible says that we've given, given everything uh, a, uh, pertaining to life and godliness through the true nature of His Son, which is found in the Word of God. So there's nothing that, in, in my opinion, that we can face that we can't find in the Word of God. Now, obviously, there's things that it doesn't cover specifically, but there's enough things like whatever we're going through like whatever we're experiencing, that we can say, well, I know because it talks about this subject that that's just like this as well. And so um, there's nothing that we can't go through that we can't understand what God, God's desire and God's will is for us. Amen? So turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Last week we talked about um, the scriptures where, well, we're actually going to read it, so... In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Paul says, Women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in the church. So we talked about that. Turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. And again, once we begin to look, um, again, all hermeneutics is based on the five W's. Who was it written to? Uh, when was it written? Why was it written? Who, what, when, where, why? What was it written? Who, what, when, where, what? Oh, so that's, where? yeah. And where. So if those, whenever we approach scriptures, whenever we approach things that are difficult, we ask ourselves those questions. Who was it written to? Who wrote it? When was it written? Why was it written? Um, everything that Paul said, everything that Paul wrote, Paul, again, was a father to these people. He, he looked at them as his children in the faith. Uh, again, there were multitudes of people being saved at this time, multitudes of people being birthed into the church. We talked about how Peter, after, after Pentecost, went out and preached, and 5,000 people were saved, and then he went out and preached again, and 4,000 people were saved. And so this is a time where, where there are multitudes of people coming into the church, but very few people to disciple them. And just like, uh, um, just like they were talking about last night, God doesn't call us just to be converts. God calls us to be disciples. And, and the, one of the most important functions that Paul um, experienced was that he was trying to raise up disciples people that were mature in the faith that would be able to teach other people. So, and again, it's not, Christianity's not just based on our feelings. It's not just based on, wow, I just really feel the love of God today. I mean, even though that's a large part of it, and that's a great part of it, there also has to be um, the foundation of what we believe based on doctrine. And Paul and all the apostles were very um, strong on doctrine. 
Because doctrine, just like it says in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And there was so much, just like there is today, there was so much um, uh, spiritual weirdness going on and spiritual um, deception going on that the apostles wanted to make sure that uh, that these new Christians were being built up in the faith and truly understanding the ways of God and understanding who God really is. Okay? So 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, discreetly not with braided hair or, and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for men, women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Look at this in verse 12. He says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now again, um, people still to this day are using this scripture and saying, we don't allow women to teach in our church. But at the same time, they allow women to teach their kids or they allow women to be on the worship team or a member of the choir and, and, and parts of, and, and things like that. And so, are, you know, are we to take that scripture as it says? Because just like we looked at that scripture earlier, if we just take that scripture at face value and don't dig into it, I'm never going to touch my wife again. So is that what God meant when he gave us his scripture? Or was Paul trying to address a specific issue happening in the early church at that time? And... To really understand what Paul is trying to say here to Timothy, we have to understand. Now, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, he says, As I urged you, Timothy, upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Do you see that? So we know that Paul is addressing the church that's in Ephesus. Okay? So that's one of our W's right there. We know who is being addressed. He's speaking to Timothy, but he's speaking specifically to the church at Ephesus and some of the problems that were going on in the church of Ephesus. So what we want to do is we want to look at the scripture and see what was happening in the church at Ephesus. What were the issues that they were struggling with? What were the things that they were experiencing? And if we don't do that, then really we can't really understand what he's trying to say. Because Paul didn't, again, it's, if you love somebody and you live a long ways from them and you're sending them a letter and you're addressing subjects, you are addressing subjects that, are, that need to be addressed, right? And especially as a father, Paul is seeing difficulties, he's seeing problems in the church of Ephesus, and he's writing them and, and trying to correct those problems. So we need to go... And we need to look at the church at Ephesus and see what the problems were that they were dealing with. Um, one of the things we know about the church of Ephesus is that it was a major city. It was a huge city, probably about 200,000 people. And uh, it was an important city. It's one of the churches in, in the book of Revelation when, Paul, or when John addressed the, the seven churches. 
is one of those churches. So all of these things we can infer that it was an important city. Um, it was a, it, in this city, it was the major center of the worship of the goddess Diana, right? And so just like, just like any city that's a center of a worship to a particular god, it's an important city, right? One of the things that I do when I'm driving through uh, like kind of a new town that I've never been to is I look at the churches there. You can always tell the importance of a city by the size of its churches. Does that make sense? I mean, like if you're driving through a tiny town, you're going to see the churches. They're going to be small churches for the most part, right? But then you drive into Dallas and you look at some of the churches there and they're humongous, right? Because people gravitate to the important places, right? And when they're in these important places, they want to worship there. And a lot of people move to cities specifically because there's a church there that they want to be a part of. Does that make sense? So again, Ephesus was an important city. It was a major city. It was a prosperous city. There was a lot of wealth there. And, um, so in, and there was a lot of um, spiritual deception. Uh, there was the worship of Artemis, and there's the worship of all kinds of false, false gods that, that were there. And so in the midst of this, there are many people being born again, but just like we've all experienced, when people get born again, they come into Christianity, they come into this new life with junk, right? They come into it, and they've still got a lot of baggage that they're dealing with. They've still got a lot of false beliefs. And that's why I think Jeremy was talking about it. I've never agreed with the idea of the big, huge evangelist sweeping into town, leading hundreds of people to the Lord, and then sweeping right back out. Because that, again, is not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to make disciples, not converts. And it's irresponsible. It's like if you were to birth a child and then say, okay, you're on your own now. I'm going to go somewhere else. And not try to raise that child, not try to instruct that child. If you have a child, you are responsible for that child. And so, um, so again, uh, Paul is responsible for these people, and this is what he's dealing with. Um, Again, there was a lot of religious deception, a lot of uh, confusion. Turn to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, Paul, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So again, Paul comes into Ephesus where, where Apollos had already been. I think John had been to the city of Ephesus making converts and, and things like that. And Paul comes into the city of Ephesus and talks to some of the new converts, and he sees that they're, they're still untrained in a lot of ways. And they're still believing things that aren't right. And so 
he begins to teach them in the right way. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, let's see. Verse 7, there were in all about 12 men, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Look at this in verse 9. But when some of them were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So what's going on? And the thing is, is because there was so much religious deception, I believe that there was a lot of hardness. Because what happens is a lot of times when you go into places where there's, a, where there's spiritual deception, it's just like when Paul went to Athens and he was talking to them about the things of God. And a lot of times people can be spiritual but yet hardened against the truth. Does that make sense? And when that happens, there's a lot of pride that's associated with it too. Okay, And they're like, well, I can't hear what you're saying because... I know more than you do, or God is, you know, I, I believe in this God, and so this God is better than your God, and, and so it's hard to reach those people. And so again, this is the, the world that Paul is stepping into when he goes into Ephesus. And uh, look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. In verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who, who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So again, these are very religious people, but, they, but they're, they're not following Jesus. It says they were Jewish exorcists, and basically they're just using religion and trying to use religion as a tool. Do you see that? They don't, they don't have a relationship with Jesus themselves. They're saying, by the Jesus that Paul preaches, I adjure you demons to come out of them. Do you see that? And so, again, they're very religious, but, they don't, but, they're, but they're confused. And so in the city of Ephesus, there was a lot of religion, but a lot of it was, was false religion and, and based on idols and demonic, actually. Verse uh, 14, seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish, Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And uh, verse 16, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus, which be magnified. So again, all kinds of stuff. People are getting saved. And just like we talked about last week, in any kind of revival, because people, people are spiritual and they're, they're, they're heightened spiritually. And along with that, there's often a lot of weirdness that goes on. Because when a, when a person's heightened spiritually, if, he's not be, if he or she is not being directed into the truth, um, deceiving spirits will enter in there. Does that make sense? When a person is spiritually, it's just like with New Age. They are spiritual people and they want spiritual things, but they're, not, they're looking for it in the wrong places. And the thing is, is, is demonic spirits will be happy to feel that. If you're, if you're, if you're looking in the wrong place, if you're, if you're not seeking it from Jesus, you're, it's easy to open up your, to yourself to the demonic. And that's what's going on. Um, verse 18, many also who had believed kept coming con 
kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it to, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Um, look at verse 24, or 23. About this time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all Asia and all the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so all this stuff happens. And, and basically... Because Paul touched their false religion, it says they, they stoned him and dragged him out of the city as dead. And, and so, again, whenever, whenever the spirit of the Lord is moving, the spirit of demons are also moving. Because the enemy is not going to sit there and watch people get delivered from bondage, get delivered from, from falsehood without trying to move in also. And so... The demonic spirits begin to stir up the people and, and, and they turn against Paul and against the gospel. And you see that, that not, not only was Paul threatening their religion, but he was also threatening their prosperity, right? And it's one thing to touch another, uh, a person's religion. It's another thing to touch their prosperity, to touch their finances. And so Paul, when he's coming in and he's bringing the gospel, it's, it's attacking not only their, their, their falsehood, but their finances as well. And so it just stirred up this whole hornet's nest. And so again, this is the city of Ephesus. This is what they're dealing with. Turn to uh, Revelation chapter 3. So again, when we read Timothy, and we, we know that Timothy was at Ephesus, this is where he's at. This is the situation that he's dealing with. These are the people that he's living with. In Revelation, actually, chapter 2. This is John writing. He says, to the angel of the church, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Right, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostle, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and endured for my namesake, and have not grown weary. You see that? So these people... Um, because of the teachings of the apostles, they're, they're getting uh, sound doctrine, they're getting grounded in the word of God, and they're, they're being able to distinguish between falsehood and truth. But he says in verse 5, uh, verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
You see that? It says, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you, you repent. You see that? So the people in Ephesus, they, again, they were very spiritual people. They wanted to know the truth. They wanted to know right from wrong. They wanted to know who's the real God, who's the false God, which is the true religion, which, which should I follow, which should I not follow, and things like that. But at the same time, there's mixture. And, and it's just like the church today. And it's just like our lives personally. Sometimes it's like, well, I've, I've put away my sins. I've put away, you know, lust and pornography. I've put away smoking weed. I've put away, you know, getting drunk and things like that. But then sometimes our hearts aren't fully engaged with the Lord, right? And so, and this is a problem that's always been throughout the church, and this was the problem that the people of Ephesus were, were struggling with. It's the problem that we struggle with. It's a problem that I struggle with a lot, is that, you know, I'll be doing all the right things. I'll be saying all the right things, but sometimes I'm like, you know, Lord, I don't really feel like my heart's close to you. I don't really feel like I'm seeking you with all of my heart. It's like, and it's like even doing the religious things. We, we read our Bibles and we pray and we, we, we do all these things. But sometimes we find ourselves that we are in that, that rut of like, I'm doing this because, you know, I get up every morning and I read my Bible. Or I get up every morning and I pray. And, 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 uh, and I, it lacks fruit. I have found that the most, the times when God truly moves in my life are the times when I'm like, you know, I'm going to read my Bible right now. And I'm going to read it not because I feel I have to. I'm not going to read it because it's my time to read my Bible. I mean, it can be 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like, you know, I could watch TV or I could do something else. But right now, I just really want to read my Bible. Or right now, I just want to listen to some worship music. Or right now, I just want to pray. And those times, at least in my experience, are the times when God really blesses and says, man, that's what I want from you also. And that's what you know, I want to be with you too. And that's, that's, to me, the hardest thing to maintain about Christianity. That, to me, is... Because we get, it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day things. It's easy to get caught up in our jobs and our lives and our, our things and stuff. And, and sometimes we just hear that voice of God calling us. Come, be awake. Come spend some time with me. And that's what God was saying to the church in Ephesus. Come, spend time with me. Don't do it because, you know, this is what you need to do or this was what... This would be good for you or, or any of that. Just come and spend time with me. And so, again, the church in Ephesus had, had that same problem that we have and that they got caught up in the, um, now we're doing all the right things, but you could be doing all the right things and your heart still not be in the right place. Okay? So, again, this is just kind of taking a look at the church of Ephesus and seeing what was going on there. Um, a lot of them were, were very religious, but they were also ignorant. They were ignorant of, of the ways of God and who God truly is. And again, this was that was the goal of the teaching of the apostles, was that so that they would not be moral people, not that they would be good people, not that they would be um, better people, but that they would know the Lord. And that's what all the Bible, that's what all the teaching of scriptures is to do, is to lead us closer into that relationship where we want more of him and less of the world. 
Amen. Um, so turn back to Ephesians or First Timothy one. We'll just look at some of the problems that were going on. Because again, we can't really understand why Paul was saying what he was saying to the women until we understand what was going on in the church of Ephesus as a whole. And in 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, re remain on at Ephesus, look at this, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a, some, and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing that the law is not made for righteous persons, but those who are lawless and rebellious, for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which I have been entrusted." So again, Paul is coming to the church, and there's a lot of false teachers in the church of Ephesus. Um, just as in the same way in the, the church in Corinth was, was wild and crazy, but the church in Corinth was wild and crazy in that people were, were spiritually gifted, and they were operating in their gifts without regard to other people. Everybody was trying to speak at the at same time. Everybody was trying to prophesy. Everybody was speaking tongues without other people interpreting. And so the, the church in Corinth was wild in that everybody was trying to operate their gifts at the same time. The church in Ephesus, the problems that they had was that there were a lot of people who felt that they were knowledgeable. And we've all seen people who, who think that they know everything and they try to teach people and you listen to them, and you're, and you're like, I'm not sure where you, you got this information that you're teaching, but it's not in the Word of God. And that's what was going on. These people, the church, a lot of these people in the church of Ephesus were needing to be instructed, were needing to be taught, but yet they were teaching other people. And instead of listening, instead of submitting themselves, instead of being quiet and listening to the apostles, they were trying to be apostles themselves. And so when Paul is addressing Timothy, he's saying, this is the problem in the church of Ephesus. This is what needs to be dealt with. Um, look in another place, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Or, not 9. Uh, let's see. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Now, he's just talking about specifically that people are, are, are being led astray, and he's talking specifically that people in the church of Ephesus are being led astray by false teaching. 
And so they're being led astray by false teaching. And not only are they themselves being led astray, but they are also teaching other people. And so again, one of the things that Paul um, dealt with over and over and over in the New Testament was false doctrine. And everywhere Paul would go, it seemed like people would follow right behind him. And Paul would teach people the way of the truth. People would come in right behind him and start teaching all kinds of wild and crazy stuff that didn't line up with the truth. And so Paul would have to go back and say, no, this is the right way. This is the truth. And so again, these are the people that Paul is dealing with. There's a lot of spirituality in the church of Ephesus. There's a lot of knowledge and hunger for truth. But a lot of the people were getting false truth. Does that make sense? A lot of people were being taught and teaching other people falsehood and false doctrine. And Paul's saying, Paul is coming to the church of Ephesus and he's addressing that specific problem. And he's addressing false doctrine. You see that? Mm -hmm. And so again, the main problem with the church of Ephesus is that they were, were very religious, but they were ignorant of the truth. And it's just like, again, it's just like over and over again, the problem is, is that so many people were being born again, and there were so many new converts, and so few people that were trained enough to be able to teach them and disciple them. And so again, one of main, Paul's main, uh, main goals in life was to raise up people that were able to teach other people. And he would say, you guys need to listen to these guys. Because these guys have been taught in the truth and in the ways. And so if you listen to them, they will teach you the truth. But the problem is, it's just like all of us. Um, and, you know, and there's, the problem is, is a lot of times when we get born again, we have so much zeal. Right? And we have, and we, we have a desire. And they're pure desires. They're good desires. And we want to just run out and tell everything. Everything that every, every people, everything that we know about Jesus. And a lot of times, the things that we know about Jesus aren't exactly right. And so Paul is saying to these people, you know, he, and he's not, he's not getting on to them for their desires or their hearts. He's getting on to them and saying, you need to be quiet and to listen. You need to allow yourself to be taught by someone who does know. Okay? Um, and the second thing, so, um, again, Paul was addressing the false doctrine and the falsehoods going on in the church of, uh, Ephesus. The second thing that he was talking about was their lack of, uh, unity. Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 1. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, and again, Paul, Paul's speaking to the same people. In 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, why is he saying this? He's saying this because a lot of these guys didn't have patience for one another, right? See, the thing is, is there's a lot of spiritual pride here. Now, and spiritual pride knows it all, right? Spiritual pride says, look, I'm the one who knows it, and you need to be quiet and listen to me because I'm trying to teach you. And, and so Paul is saying, you need to be humble. You need to be able to receive. Verse 2 again, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see that? 
And so, again, Paul is addressing in the Ephesian church, there is a, a, a disunity. Everyone, everyone kind of knew it all. There's so many uh, schools of thought, so many different things going on. And Paul is saying, you guys need to learn. And, and everyone knew it all. And Paul's saying, you need to, to learn from each other. You need to learn to be quiet. And I know personally for me that that's something the Lord's always saying. You need to be quiet because, you know, a lot of times you, the thing is, a lot of times we have just enough knowledge and enough information to be dangerous, <laughs> right? And so, uh, you know, and I think, especially if you have a gift of teaching or whatever, sometimes we're like, it's funny because last night when we were talking, I had to tell myself when sometimes when you were talking to to James, I had to tell myself to be quiet and just listen. Because <laughs> that's the thing. It's like when 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 you feel like you have the gift of teaching, you feel like you just need to teach people and you just need to always be saying something. But like then I'd hear you saying some really awesome things to him, and I'd be like, you know. You just need to be quiet right now. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to do. And that's a hard that's what these guys were dealing with. They felt like they knew stuff. They felt like God has taught me stuff and I need to teach you. Right? So in the same way that the Corinthian church, everyone's felt like they were gifted and they're trying to use their gifts over everybody. In the Ephesian church, everyone feels felt like that they were knowledgeable and they were trying to use their knowledge over everybody. And Paul is coming against that. And uh See, turn to look at verse look at verse 13 or verse 11 of what chapter same chapter verse 11 he says and he gave some as apostles some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ look at this until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and again, this is the purpose of the five-fold ministry. It's not to glorify itself. It's not to say, look at me, look how much knowledge I have, look how much information I've got, look how mature I am. It's to, it's, it's to lay down your life, lay down your giftings, lay down your knowledge, lay down all the things that you think you have to lift somebody else up. He says, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, and the church is there today. We are led by, you know, you can go to church to church, and this church teaches one church thing, that church teaches another thing, and there's just these winds of doctrine. And I've watched it since I've been a believer. You've probably seen it a ton too. Is that like every once in a while through the church there will come this wind of doctrine, you know? Well, now this is what everybody's believing, you know? We're all into, you know, barking like dogs now, or we're all into doing this, or you know, and stuff. And there's this the, bad or that bad or yeah, that the church is filled with fads, right? <laughs> yeah. And and it's like every so often another fad will come into the church, you know, like the. Uh, what was it, the, the Elijah diet or the John the, the Baptist diet? or Yeah. Oh, that's that. funny. Yeah. I remember, what, what that was that? Bible study that I went to a long time ago, and it was like, I thought it was really like a health and nutrition study, and it was like eating God's way or something, and basically yeah. the whole thing was basically saying it's a sin to eat pork and all this other stuff, and if you really want to care for your body, you would never touch pork again, and God didn't yeah. want you to anyway, and 
all this stuff. So they were basically taking the Old Testament stuff and making a nutritional yeah. um, lifestyle like out of it. And I was making out law and again. I was just... Prayer of Jabez. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna, I was yeah that's a good that. one. Yeah, when the prayer of Jabez was... And everyone's praying this prayer. And it's like, okay, well, like it's you know... a magic wand or and, something. And that's the thing. It's like, well, oh. God specifically spoke that to Jabez. Is he specifically speaking that to you? And maybe he is, but maybe he's not. And, and you know, it's like when I'm on, I'm on Facebook sometimes and, you know, and there's these prophecies. The Lord is saying, this is your year to be prospered. Well, is that every single person that's reading this? Is, <laughs> is God saying that to every person? Because I kind of don't think that God is saying that to everyone. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, because not everyone's going to prosper this year. Yeah. Some of us aren't going to do that well, maybe. Yes, but probably not in the way they would... But even if it's spiritually, some of us, because of our disobedience, yeah. might yeah. not prosper <laughs> right. there too. Yeah, you know? that's true. So it's just, it's crazy. But one thing about this, the scripture that we're looking about at too, is it's like in verse 11, it says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, what that says to me is that it's not a one man show, mm -hmm. you know? Christianity is not about the superstars. It's not about the one person here or the one person there. And that's, that's the thing that Paul was trying to get the, the Ephesian church to understand. This Christianity is not about you and your giftings, your knowledge, your, your whatever. This Christianity is about all of us. Everybody has their part to play. Everybody has their role. You have your part. They have their part. Everybody has their part. And it's never going to work properly as long as it's the one person doing their thing. Mm -hmm. It's only going to work properly when everybody is able to operate in their gifts. And it goes right from there into unity. And I don't believe that there will ever be true unity of the Spirit until we all find out what God has called us to do and we are operating in what God has called us to do, right? It's not, I'm not operating in what God has called someone else to do. I'm not using the gifts that God has given someone else. I'm using the gift that God has called me to do and I'm doing what God has gifted me to do. Um, in verse 16, the same chapter, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of, of itself in love. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, back to First Timothy. And if you guys want to just kind of put a bookmarker in First Timothy somewhere, we're going to be coming back to it. So again, Paul, Paul's... Um, Paul's focus, Paul's, one of the things that Paul's dealing with in the church of Ephesus is, again, they've got the spiritual knowledge and the spiritual, um, they think they understand, but, they're, but when, when, we're all, when we're focusing on our gifts and we're excluding other people's gifts and we're like, my gift is more important than your gift, then Paul's saying you're not understanding and you're missing it, okay? Um, another thing that they were dealing with is that there were a lot of people in, in the church of Ephesus. Again, Ephesus was an important city. It was a prosperous city. And there were a lot of people in Ephesus who were, for, who were wealthy and proud of it. Okay? Not that we have that situation in the church today, but 
in their situation, there were people that had a lot of money and they were flaunting it. Turn to First uh, Timothy 2. verse 9. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of godly works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So again, there were these women and basically they were ostentatious. And the thing about the church, as you look in the book of Acts, um, it talks about when, when the Spirit of God was moving, people would, would sell their stuff and give it to people who had less. And, and everyone, a lot of people were bringing the stuff that they had and just giving it to the apostles and letting them distribute it as they needed to and things. And so um, the thing about Christianity is, is much of Christianity has always been poor, right? Because... Um, and that happens for a lot of reasons. A lot of times, it's the poor people who see their need, mm -hmm. right? And so they cry out to God, and they come to Jesus because they see that they've got needs. And also, at the same time, and especially you think about in, in Ephesus at that time, um, being the heart of Diana worship, um, a lot of people, as believers, would not have been able to operate in that business because... And it's, it's happening right now. The, the people who, who wouldn't make, a, a, the Christian bakers who wouldn't make a cake for the, for the a gay couple for their wedding were be, are being sued. In the same way, in the church in Ephesus, a lot of Christians wouldn't have been able to operate their businesses because there were guilds, there were business guilds that operated and they were like, well, if you're not following Diana, you can't be a part of this guild, right? And so... Paul sees in this church, there's a lot of people with a lot of poverty. But then at the same time, there's a lot of people that are flaunting their wealth. And there's a lot of women specifically that Paul's speaking to. And it was probably the men as well. But Paul sees it happening with the women and he's addressing it. Look at verse, uh, or, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. Um, verse 7 or verse 6 he says but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment for we have brought nothing into this world and again Paul is not saying these words for nothing right Paul is addressing a specific issue here he says for we brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either but if we have food and covering with this we will be content Look at this in verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Look at this in verse 10. You guys have all heard the scripture, right? Money is the root of all evil? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's not how it says. Mm -hmm. That's not how it's written. It's it says, for the love of money is a root of all yeah. sorts of evil, and it's the love of money. And he says, for and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and godliness. You see that? And so, again, so Paul is addressing this because there are many 
people in the church of Ephesus, just like today, they were upwardly, upwardly mobile. They were just, uh, they, were, they were trying to get rich. Okay? And Paul says, if your life is all about, and so here's the thing with the people in the church of Ephesus. A lot of them looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were shallow. That makes sense? The women, they looked good on the outside, but Paul says, you're, you need to have that inward quality, which is not just, just an inch deep, but it, there's, some, there's substance to you. And he's saying the same thing to the men. If you're just seeking for the nicest car, if you're seeking for the Rolex watch, if you're seeking for the nice house, you're missing it. And if, you're, if that's your God, if that's what you're following after, you're going to miss it. And he's not saying that it's a, it's a sin to have things. He's, it's a, he says it's a sin to pursue things, right? Paul, Paul nowhere in the Bible does it, does it say that having, those, having things is bad because God blesses people and God does give good things. But it's the people that seek for those things and it's the people who flaunt those things that God is saying. Because if you're flaunting your riches in front of poor people, I mean, that's not love either, right? Mm-hmm. And so Paul says, if you are seeking for those things, you are going to be led astray. And so again, there were many people in the in the in the uh, um, the the church of Ephesus that were seeking those things. Remember what we saw in Acts chapter nineteen when Paul began to preach the gospel, and it started affecting the people who made little idols. It started affecting their pocketbook. That's when they stoned him. And that's the thing. A lot of people, and a lot of us, as uh, you know. We as believers, a lot of times we can be giving and we can be free and stuff until things really start hurting a little bit. And then sometimes we kind of change a little bit, right? And the Bible says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And, you know, God knows where our hearts are. And we as believers are to be the most giving people in the world, right? Because God has given to us more than we could ever even begin to repay, right? Just like we were talking last night, if Jesus did nothing more for us than, or if God did nothing more for us than send his son to die for my sins, really, we've got nothing else to complain about, okay? And so that's, you know, we always need to maintain that focus and to understand if he's blessed us, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But to seek after those things means that we are seeking after an idol rather than following after God. And that's why the Bible says so much about giving and, and, and seeing the poor and things like that. Because when you're able to freely give, then it means that that doesn't have a, a part of your heart. Right? And, you know, and it, the thing is, is even though we struggle, no matter how we're struggling, there's always someone that's worse off. And God wants us to be able to see that. He wants us, when we look at the world, He wants us to be able to see there are people who are less fortunate than we are. And God wants us to be a people of compassion and to be a people that maybe if we don't have monetary goods, we can give to them in other ways. Just like Peter and John, when the, when the, when the uh, beggar came to them and, and be, was begging money from them, and they said, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, walk. And so sometimes we're not able to give money, but sometimes we can give our time. Sometimes we can, we can be nice to people that, you know, everyone else uh, ignores or whatever.
and stuff. So, but we've always got something because Jesus lives in us. We have something that we're able to give. And, and that's, that's part of that well. That's part of that river of life is that no matter what the situation is, there's something that we can give to bless other people. Okay? So again, the church in Ephesus, they were seeking to become rich. They were seeking the things of this world. And Jesus said, the things of this world are going to rust. He says, don't store up your treasure where, where rust and moth and decay happens, but store up your treasures in heaven. And so again, the people of Ephesus were worldly-minded rather than spiritually-minded. They were seeking the things of this world rather than seeking eternal things. And God and Paul is telling them, you need to get your focus on the, off the things of this world and on the things that last forever. Okay? So... Again, there was, there was disorder in relationships. Um, and basically, uh, there were disorder in relationships in their society. Look at uh, chapter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. In first, well, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we know in verses 9 through 15, talk, Paul speaks about women in their relationships, specifically wives in their relationships to their husbands, right? Um, in chapters 3, verses 2 through 12, Paul talks about men and their relationships with their wives and with their families. And in um, chapter, was it, 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul speaks about their relationships with their slaves. So again, um, basically all these people are exploring and finding newfound freedoms in Christ that they had not experienced before and they didn't know how to handle them. Over and over, you see the New Testament writer saying, you need to subject yourself to the authorities over you. He's saying, God put those authorities over you in place. It's those authorities are there because God put them there, and you need to respect them. And so here's the thing. They, before before they, they, they got saved, before they became Christians, Caesar was their God. Right? And everything they owed... They owed to Caesar or to one of the many multitudes of other gods, Artemis and all these other gods. I mean, they had to worship Caesar, but they could also worship these other gods on the side. I mean, there were just a plethora of gods that they could worship and, and did worship and things. And so when they, when they became Christians, now they're like, well, now my God, my king is Jesus. And so a lot of them are casting off restraint and they're like, well, now I don't have to follow Caesar. Right? Now I don't have to follow the authorities that are over me. I don't have to pay my taxes. I don't have to do um, good works for the government. I don't have to do what the authorities and the law over me says because now I'm free and Jesus is my God. And so Paul had to, had to, um, had to correct that and say, look, you're still under the authorities. You're still as believers. And he says not only that, but as believers, we have to live even above what the people of the world live. And our, our respectfulness and our, our chaste behavior and our submissiveness to people in authority uh, should be a testimony to the people around us, mm -hmm. right? And so, again, there, there will be times that as believers, I believe that, that, you know, that we would have to disobey the government, you know? If the government says, okay, we're going to shut down the churches, you can't worship Jesus anymore. Well, hey, we're going underground, right? So there are times when, when you have to choose, well, is it going to be God or is it going to be man? But, it, but for the most part, God says, 
the, the, the governments that are over you are there because I put them there. Governments are there to be a good, to be, to be a helpful to society. And as, as Christian people, we shouldn't be, oh my gosh, I was, we were talking the other day, they had something about the president on TV. And they were talking about how, how the president should, is, has lost his mind. And, you know, there was a psychiatrist on there saying how, how he's unstable. And, you know, I don't care if it's, if it's Trump, if it's Obama, if it's a Republican, if it's a Democrat. The Bible says we are to honor those who are in authority over us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to slavishly just, um, you know, just serve them and be robots and do everything that they, you know, our lives are all about them. Not at all. But at the same time, we are not supposed to disrespect them. And as believers, when we do that as believers, it's a slight against Christianity. And that's the stuff that the New Testament writers are addressing. They're saying, as believers, you need to submit to authority. Now, again, they're not saying that you just need to be this slave to authority. You need to uh, worship the authority over you and whatever they say, bow to. But at the same time, we, our respect for authority and our submission to authority should be a testimony to those around us that we're just not these rebellious people that are going to live where we're free in Jesus, so now we're going to live any way that we want to live, okay? Mm -hmm. So anytime we look at the authority in the Bible, anytime we look at authority in Scripture, that's the authority that it's talking about. It's an authority not based on subjugation. It's not an authority based on you're under my thumb and I'm going to make you submit to me. Or anything like that. It's not an authority where it's not the authority where uh, a wife has to submit to her husband even if that man is sinning. Or if that man is causing her to do things that are against her conscience or against what she knows God has called her to do. Right? Um, we've heard stories of, of, of husbands who force their wives to look at like pornography. And because wives, they were taught in church that I'm to submit to my husband no matter what, they would do it, right? Or there's cases even worse. Uh, we've known of cases where, where the husband was beating the wife, but because she was taught the Bible in certain ways, she could not leave her husband, okay? And what I want us to see is what the Bible truly says. Is that what the Bible means? Because, you know, we know that people uh, disobeyed the governments whenever it came against what God said, right? But yet God tells us to obey governments. Well, God wants us to be an authority. He wants us, and he has established authorities over us, but he hasn't done that for us to be slaves to them, right? And biblical authority is never, ever supposed to be something that, that, is, that is abusive, Biblical authority is never something that's supposed to put you under its thumb and squash you and, and make you, you know. And, and there is correction. Paul corrected people many times, and sometimes they would do it harshly, okay? And so I'm not saying that, but I am saying that it's never domineering. And, and even, say, like the case in Corinthians where, they, where the guy was sleeping with his, his father's wife, and, and Paul said, you need to deal with that. You need to remove that man from the church. And so they did that, okay? But in 2 Corinthians, the man had repented. And Paul says, you need to restore that man in a spirit of gentleness, 
okay? And so the authority that God sets up is one, and just like Jeremy was talking about, the authority, biblical authority is from the bottom up. Jesus said that those who will be the greatest among you would be, must be the servants of all. And Jesus put a towel around his waist and he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And so biblical authority is one that lays down its life. And God has not called any of us to subject ourselves to authority that's abusive, to an authority that, 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 uh, that, that tries to, and that, that abuse can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be uh, words, whatever. Control. Control? Exactly. God has not called us to be under that kind of authority, and he does not say that you must be subjected to that. Which is why the extreme of the whole, you know, wife-submitting doctrine, usually all mixed in that, is them teaching the women, your job is to serve your husband, serve your husband, serve your husband. Well, we're all supposed to serve each other. Exactly. But the irony of it all is, is that the husbands aren't taught that, that says that he who wishes to lead must be the servant of all. And so the husbands aren't being taught. You know, if you want to be the big cheese in your family, you're going to have to wash your wife's feet and lay it on your life yeah. for her. And and it's just not really emphasized. Well, and, and so the opposite is emphasized. But they're both correct. We're yeah. both supposed to lay her down our lives for one another. Well, I don't know. Well, that, and the thing is, I'm it's out of to submit to each other. Yeah. That's the thing. We've seen that in scriptures, or we've seen that in churches. We've actually been a part of a church where they're like, well, wives, you need to submit to your husband, and doesn't matter what they do to you, you have to submit, and you have to do what he tells you to do, and, and things like that. But there was nothing said about him submitting to her, or him, or him loving her as Christ loved the church. And so the thing is, is again... God has not called relationships between man and woman to be unequal. In the beginning, God created them equal, male and female, okay? That is the will, that was the design, that was the intention of God. He never intended it to be, here's the man, here's the woman, and the man's going to dominate the woman, and the woman's just going to be his slave, okay? So, turn to, uh, back to 1 Corinthians, or 1 Timothy, sorry. Chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to kind of look at it a little bit. So we saw last week when Paul told women, I, I don't want women to speak in church, what was he addressing? He was addressing the problem that there was mass chaos in the Corinthian church. Everybody was trying to speak at the same time. And I think that in the Corinthian church, there may have been an issue of the women specifically um, overdoing it, right? So... Again, if Paul, you know, it's just like any situation, if you were to take a, a situation with a specific person and address it and, you know, whatever it is, and they're talking about it 2,000 years later, it may or may not apply to them, okay? So in 2 Corinthians, or keep saying First Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, he says, like, okay, go up to verse 7. He says, for this I was appointed a teacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Look at verse 8. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. 
You see that? So we talked about earlier how the men were all kind of thought that they were smarter than the other guys and there was a lot of strife going on, a lot of disunity. And Paul is addressing that. He says, I don't want you guys to be fighting with each other, be trying to one-up each other or to be in strife or dissension. I want you to lay that aside, right? He says, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without dissension. Look at this in verse 9. Likewise, in the same way. So Paul is saying, here Paul is cor correcting the men for the specific issues that the men have in this specific church at this specific time. Right? Mm -hmm. And he says, likewise, women were dealing with specific issues in this specific church at this specific time. And Paul is saying, in the same way, I want to address your issue as well as I'm addressing their issues. Okay? So again, this may not apply 2,000 years later. It may apply, but it might not. In verse 9, he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So again, a lot of the women were just trying to show off their, 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 their riches and the money that they had and, and their their. Again, they were outwardly, they looked great, but on the inside, they were lacking. Verse 10, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You see that? Mm -hmm. So again, it's like the Proverbs 31 woman, you know, where it talks about this woman is, has all these uh, characteristics. And that's the thing. A true godly man is not looking for a woman that's just beautiful on the surface. Okay, and again, the people of our society, of our day, and of our time had the same issues that the women of Ephesus had. How many women do we know that are all about the outward appearance? They're beautiful. They're 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 great to look at, and that's in God. God designed men to be attracted to beauty, right? And it's it's an awesome thing. It's a, it's a natural thing, and it is something that God designed. But at the same time, no truly godly man wants a beautiful woman who has no spiritual depth. And that's the way the Ephesian women were. They looked great on the outside. They were Christian women. They were going to church. They were doing religious things, but they lacked depth. It was all an outward show. It was all on the outside. They could say amen. They could, yeah, glory Jesus, all this kind of stuff. But there was no true depth of relationship in their hearts. And Paul says, you need to have more than just this outward thing. All right? And so this was what was going on in the Ephesian church. This is not something that Paul is addressing to every woman of every generation of every church. This was specific to the Ephesian church. I kind of want to talk a lot, but um, like when I studied this whole book or whatever, I just noticed how much um, false doctrine was just infiltrating yeah. the church and how a lot of the women were bringing it into. And um, it says in chapter five um, that, they, that the women were given to wanton pleasure, right. that there were women that were given to wanton pleasure. Um, it said in verse 13, um, some of them had learned to be idle, then going around from house to house. Not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Mm. Um, and so there was just kind of this um, problem with a lot of the women, especially the single women who didn't have a family to take care of and children, mm. which I think that's what it means by being saved by the having of children, mm. is they, they didn't have anything to do, so they just kind of went about being busybodies, and it said they would sit at the teachers and listen to teachers who were teaching falsehood, and then I'm sure they were going around and 
disseminating some of the falsehood themselves. And, um, yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing. Where was that at? Um, chapter 5, there's a lot of that okay. there. Cause, yeah, because that's exactly what we were going to look at. He says, in verse 12, he says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, again, this verse, in ver that word woman in verse 12 could very well be the word wife, okay? Because in the Greek, there was no distinction between the word woman and wife. So I don't believe here that Paul is saying, I don't allow any woman to teach any man. I think in this situation, he's like saying, I don't allow these women to teach their husbands. Or, okay? or, Now remember, or. hold on just one second. <laughs> hold on. Remember that in, in, in the ancient world, women were not, women didn't learn. Okay? Um, the rabbis, I mean, they, they, they felt like your animal was, was of greater stature than your wife. Right? So, Again, over the centuries, over the years, um, men went away from God's original intention and women became an object to him. Women became um, something to be owned rather than, than a partner, okay? And so as a result, women weren't taught, the gospel, weren't taught the word of God. And so in the church of Ephesus, we've got all sorts of converts, men and women, but many of the men had been taught biblical things all their lives, whereas the women hadn't been taught. And so I think one of the issues that Paul is addressing is that uh, these women are trying to teach and they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily that, you know, that they, you know, that's because of their gender. Like you said, it was because of their lack of education and also that like it says in chapter 5, a lot of them were just going about and listening to strange doctrine and right. then disseminating that. And so yeah. potentially there's some background that we don't know, like that they were they were trying to exercise authority over the men in the church and, and just to teach a bunch of stupid stuff. I mean, yeah. And so, like, yeah, just hold your place there. Let's go to chapter 5 because I definitely want to read that. Um, in verse 1, he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Again, Paul was talking about their relationships with one another, and they didn't know how to deal with one another, and so Paul is trying to teach them. He says in verse 3, Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own household, and especially for those, excuse me, for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she's brought up children, and if she's shown hospitality to strangers, and if she's washed the saints' feet, and if she's assisted those who are in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put widows, young younger widows on the last list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. 
thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. So it's just like you said. Mm -hmm. Verse 14, Therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. So Paul is saying these women are going around, they're busybodies, they're gossips, and just like you say, I believe that they were a part of the false teachings going on too. They're going along teaching people things that, just like Paul says, ought not to be taught. And Paul says, for, and for them, in their day, in their time, in their... Um, Culture. In their culture, the thing was for them to get married and have children and to have less time on their hands. Yeah. And so when Paul is saying they need to get married and have children, I don't think he's saying that to, again, every believer, every woman, 2,000 years from now, because our culture, our society is different. Mm -hmm. The main point that Paul is saying is don't be idle. <laughs> idle and using all your time to just go around wasting time to be gossiping about people, to be busybodies, and to be teaching people things that ought not to be taught. Right. And so that is the problem that the women in the church of Ephesus were having, and that is the problem that Paul is dealing with. And it says, and for so, some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Yeah. 